0: Galatians chapter 5. Galatians five sixteen through 18 will be our text this Lord's Day. Uh, we're resuming our study of Galatians. We took a little break there. At the end of the year, as we had our Advent series. And uh, then last Lord's Day, as Pastor Nick preached to us from the book of James. And so just by way of review, uh, we're towards the end now of Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia. Uh, there had been an issue in Galatia where Paul had gone and shared the authentic, true, genuine gospel of our Lord Jesus... Uh, But then after him came false teachers. Uh, Specifically, they were Judaizers. They were those who taught that in order to truly be a part of the people of God, you had to go back to the Old Testament. You had to adhere to all the Old Testament law, uh, specifically things like circumcision. And unless you did those things, you weren't truly a follower of God. And so now Paul is writing uh, to correct against that false teaching and to instruct the Galatians in what it means to really walk with Christ and walk by faith. And today... He talks to us about walking by the Spirit. So we're going to look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, and add a reverence for God's Word if you're able to, if you would stand as I read the text for us today. And this is what the Holy Spirit of God says to us through the Apostle Paul. This is His Word to His church. And it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you would, pray with me. Father God, I pray that You might do a work that only You can do. That You, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, would call us to conviction, to repentance. Lord, if there's any here who's yet to place their trust and faith in Christ, I pray this would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, for those who have trusted in Christ, perhaps today they are struggling to trust in You, I pray that You would empower them through Your Holy Spirit. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we might better understand and apply Your Word as we study it today, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've shared before that oftentimes uh, curious headlines catch my attention. I came across one uh, last year that did that very thing. The, the headline in a Tennessee newspaper said this, Jesus advised driver to let go of the wheel. The article went on to say that a 33-year-old man from Maryville, Tennessee, uh, told authorities that Jesus advised him to, quote, let go of the wheel which led him to crash on Interstate 81 in Sullivan County on Saturday, according to the Tennessee Highway Patrol. Witnesses told police that the man was driving very fast and then for no apparent reason left the right side of the road. He told a trooper that he closed his eyes and let go of the steering wheel when, quote, he said that Jesus was calling him and advised him to let go of the wheel, and that's what he did. At that point, the article goes on to point out his 2015 Toyota Tacoma truck flipped five times, uh, struck a rock on the right side of the road and landed there in the interstate. Uh, Thankfully, there were no serious injuries. It may be that this man listened to one too many Carrie Underwood songs or it may have been the tremendous amount of drugs and alcohol that they found to be in his system uh, but he made this choice. It is a sad and yet we kind of laugh at its story of, of just kind of letting go and saying that, that Jesus told him to let go of the wheel. And as absurd as that article might seem, it's not so different than advice we so often give and receive as Christians. It seems we've become accustomed in times of trial, times of grief, times of sorrow, whatever it might be, to, to tell one another to receive this advice to, to just let go and let God. And so you may find yourself at a time when you are struggling with sin and seeking counsel and someone says, well, you just need to let go and let God. And you may find a time when you are struggling with grief and loss and someone tells you, well, just just let go and let God. It may be that you are overwhelmed by financial stress, difficult relationships, sickness, sorrow, suffering, a number of things, but the advice we often get is let go and let God. God. Now just let me say that this advice isn't necessarily bad. It really depends on what you mean when you say let go and let God. If this means you are to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to trust fully in Him, then by all means let go and let God. But so often, what's implied in this advice is passivity. What's implied in this advice is that, that you need to stop working, stop trying, stop putting in effort, take your hands off the wheel what's implied in this isn't just to relinquish control it's to relinquish all effort on your part and yet that is very different than what we see here in Paul's letter to the Galatians that is very different than the counsel that the word of God gives us in times of joy and in times of loss the word of God does not tell us in those times to let go the word of God tells us to hold on The Word of God tells us to hold on to the promises of God and to walk by and be led by the Spirit of God. That is what Paul is writing to the Galatian Christians to help them understand. And if you've been with us in the study, you know that Paul has just told them that, that there is to be fruit of their faith, that genuine faith comes not through works, but through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is to be a fruit of that faith. If there's no fruit, there's probably no faith. Well, what then happens so often when we hear that is we think, well, I've got to try harder to produce fruits. Well, we seem to understand we need to lean on the grace of God for salvation, but then we think we need to lean on our own grit for sanctification, for becoming more and more like Jesus. We just need to roll up our sleeves and go at it. We need to resolve. We need to try harder. Well, how do we do those things, and how do we reconcile that, and... And where does the power of the Holy Spirit come into play? Those are the things we're going to consider as we look at this text today, beginning with that first point there in your outline. We find that Christian growth is only possible when we walk by the Spirit. Christian growth is only possible when we walk by the Spirit. Again, Paul writes here in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Paul has begun his letter to the Galatians helping them to understand what salvation truly is and helping them to understand that 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 we in and of ourselves cannot save ourselves scripture says that in the beginning there when god created adam and eve in the garden uh, there was a great rebellion they rebelled against god and we have been rebelling ever since The Word of God says that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. That no matter how hard we try, no matter what effort we put in, no matter how religious we might be, no matter how often we might uh, attend church or give to the needy, whatever we might do, we have all sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory. And there's a great gap between us and God. And what the Scripture says is that we are deserving then, in falling short of God's glory, the very wrath of God. Though the wages of sin is death. but God's word says that God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if anyone will call on the name of the Lord, that they will be saved. If we will trust in Christ, we will be saved. And so Paul here said very clearly, our salvation is not a result of our efforts or our works. Our salvation is completely a result of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also this element then of once we become saved of what happens next. And this is what we call the process of sanctification, of Christian growth, of becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like the old self. God's Word tells us here, Paul writes, that we are saved by the work and the power of Christ alone, and we are sanctified by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit alone. As I heard one pastor say it once, we... We find that holiness comes from the Holy Spirit. Well, We can't produce this in and of ourselves no matter how hard we try. And so Paul here is saying that how it is produced is that we walk. Verse 16. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand what Paul was saying here in the original language. Walk implies movement, not passivity. Walk implies going somewhere, not standing still. This word actually implies that this is how we live our lives. This is our daily conduct. And how is it to be, he says, verse 16, by the Spirit. We're, we're to walk by the Spirit. Well, what, what does that mean? There's great confusion in churches today as to what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit. There are many confusing, there are many false teachings about this. Well, what do we see here? What is Paul implying? Well, look down to verse 18 there. I think this gives us a a helpful clue. Verse 18, Paul says, you are led by the Spirit. So, walking by the Spirit is not just independently out there walking along and, and asking the Spirit to fill us. No, walking by the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. Now this is not being led in the sense that you might think of a, of a, a NASCAR race or something where you've got a, a pace car out there leading the pack. No, no, this is being led in the sense of when you see a train go by. that The locomotive is, is the driving force. It is leading all those other cars. And they are locked into it. And as a result of that, they are being led. And that's how God's Spirit leads us. It's not just some volitional choice in our part of, well, maybe we'll follow along. No, it's we are grasping tightly to the things of God and to His Word. Paul says here, if we walk by the Spirit, then we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. That that word flesh here implies not our you know, physical skin and bones, but more so our, our, our nature, specifically our sinful nature. So Paul says here there's this tension in the life of the Christian where when, when we become a believer, the Scripture says God gives us a new heart, new desires. Scripture says we're, we're born again. There's this spiritual birth. You know, there's that, that picture we have even in creation where God creates Adam from the dust of the ground. Then He breathes life into him. When we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God is breathing new life into us. But we see there's this tension here because at the moment that we become a Christian, we don't become sinless. You want to see an illustration of that? Look to your right and to your left. <laughs> well, look at me. I look at you. Well, we all struggle with sin, don't we? And for those who are followers of Christ, we still struggle with sin. God doesn't immediately at the moment of conversion then suddenly work in such a way where we no longer sin or where we no longer desire sin. We still wrestle with this. And so this can be a, a conflict and even a confusing thing because you think about, well, well, what's the difference here? If a, if a believer wrestles with a sin nature and sinning and an unbeliever wrestles with a sin nature and sinning, well, what's the difference? Well, what's, How do we reconcile this tension? Well, we reconcile it by looking to the Word of God in understanding what it is. For example, in Romans thirteen fourteen, Paul writes, "...but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." And so there's this, this volitional act on the part of the believer where day by day we're, we're trusting in Christ, we're putting on the Lord Jesus, and we're turning away from our sinful desires. Not making a provision for the flesh, he says. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Romans chapter 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. So we see at that moment of salvation, we we receive a new heart, new desires, but we still wrestle with the flesh. We're not immediately made sinless. This is now the process then for the believer of that sanctification. And sanctification is a lifelong process in the life of the believer. You do not arrive until the moment that we meet the Lord in a new heaven and a new earth in glory, and so between now and then, it is a, it is at times a, an up and down experience of becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like the old self. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. Sometimes it feels like five steps backwards and one step forward. But it is a process, not just a process. The Scripture says it is a fight. It is a battle. that's where the text takes us next, to that second point there in your outline, point two. When we walk by the Spirit, we are walking into battle. That's the imagery that we have here in Galatians 5. Paul says the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, keeping you from doing the things you want to do. And so we see this tension for the believer. We see it in Romans 7 and 8 in Paul where there are times that there are things we want to do that are good things, that are righteous things, that are holy things, that the Spirit of God within us cries out and says, yes, do these things. And yet the old nature is wrestling with us and there's this fight. And then there's times when we're looking back and we're looking at the old self and we're thinking about things we used to do and... Sometimes we're thinking rather fondly of them or we're wrestling with sin, we're struggling with sin and there's this fight within us because we have this this new heart and the Holy Spirit saying, no, move away from that, run away from that, repent of that, go the other way. So these two opposing forces are at war with one another. Friends, these are not two equal forces in any way. (laughs) For those who are in Christ, we have been bought, we have been purchased, we belong to Him. We are putting to death this body of sin. But we do not do that in our own effort. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Paul says here that this is a fight, this is a battle. That's why in Ephesians 6, we see that that imagery, that picture of putting on the whole armor of God. Now, God doesn't give us all those details of the armor of God just so we have a creative way to teach a Sunday school lesson. He is helping us to see that the Christian life is a battle, it is a fight. We have to get ready for that battle by, by putting on this armor, by putting on Christ. And we are warring against the desires of the flesh. That's why he refers to it that way in verse 17, those desires of the flesh. But again, this question surfaces. Well, if a Christian wrestles with desires of the flesh and If a non-believer, an un-Christian, that they wrestle with desire of the flesh, what's what's really the difference here? A believer is tempted to sin, and then they sin. Unbelievers tempted to sin, and then they may sin. So what's the real distinguishment? What's the difference here? Well, the Scripture says that there is great difference. Because for the believer, we have the Spirit of the living God within us who's seeking to put sin to death. There's a fight there. For example, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what Paul is saying here very clearly is this. If there's not a battle going on in your heart and life right now against sin, it may be that you're not actually a follower of Christ. Think about that. Hold on to that for a moment. If there is not a consistent, regular, tension, fight, battle in your life where you're seeking to put sin to death, where sin is grieving you, where you want to be rid of it, if that's not going on, if you have no conviction of sin in your life, if you find yourself making excuses for sin in your life, if you're constantly the exception, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, yeah, God's Word might say that, but, well, you just don't understand. Well, this is how I feel. These are the conversations you have. The Scripture says, friend, it doesn't matter what church you go to or how often you go. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you read every day. You may be lost in your sin. Remember, this letter is written to attack a false gospel. And what was that false gospel? The Judaizers did not show up in Galatians and say, well, the gospel's nonsense, so let's just all go li- get liquored up and do whatever we want. The encouragement from the Judaizers to the Galatians is not go sin that sin might abound, it is what? You need to behave. You need to do better. You need to be more religious. That's what will save you. Friends, the Scripture and the world we live in is marked by people who are so confident in their own self-righteousness that they have completely missed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that may be true of you today. If you don't grieve sin, and if you don't see this battle against sin in your heart and in your life, not only that, we also see that the believer longs for the day when the flesh is completely put to death and Christ makes all things new. So as believers, not only do we want to see sin mortified and destroyed and and brought to death in our life, we, we long for the day when we can no longer sin. We long for the day when Christ makes all things new. We long for what we read in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 4. It says this of Christ, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he, Christ, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you long for that day? That a sad reality in the church of Jesus Christ today if so few of us truly long for a new heaven and a new earth. We have an unbiblical, incorrect, I believe somewhat heretical perspective of heaven where it's just this eternal choir practice where we float around in the clouds all day. And we are bored with the notion of it. And we look to this world and this life and we find ourselves saying things like, well, I just want to make sure I do this before I die. I hope I can do all these things. We we are holding on to this world as if this is the best. And if that is true of you, brother or sister today, you have missed the glory of the new creation from the Scripture. You see, it's not sufficient just that we want to put Sin to death. The scripture says we should desire the day when we can sin no more. Can you imagine what that day will be like? No more losing your temper. No more saying the wrong thing. No more addictions. No more moral failures. No more succumbing to temptation. No more deception. No more seeking to cover our sin in darkness. No more putting on this outward religious appearance while living in unrepented sin. I mean, can you imagine what it would be not to be able to say that hurtful thing to that loved one that you wish you could take back? Can can you imagine what it would be to not even have the ability to sin? That's what we see in a new heaven and a new earth. But we are not there yet. And the Scripture says until that day, there is a battle and there is a fight and there is a conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. And so how is it that we engage in this battle? That's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at. And this third point there in your outline. See, we walk by the Spirit. We we do these things by trusting in Christ and resting in His Word. By trusting in Christ and resting in His Word. Trust, we've talked about this before, is belief. It's not just saying, well, yeah, I believe. It's, it's belief. It's placing my trust, my hope, my faith in Christ. It's recognizing the depravity, the darkness of my own sin, and realizing my my only hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And our only hope is to, to trust in Him and not just that, to, to rest in the promises of His Word. Notice again what Paul says here in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Now remember again the context. Paul has been writing in a a context where people were being told, the law will save you. Put put your hope and your trust in the law. Paul says, no, the law won't save you. The law was never sufficient to save you. Friends, you cannot behave your way into heaven. You, You can't make yourself a Christian. A work has to take place on the inside. God does not work on us from the outside in. He works on us from the inside out. You need a new heart. And that happens when the Spirit of God awakens us to the truth of the Gospel and we, we long for these things. And Paul's reminding us here that this, this happens through the work of the Spirit. Again, we, we, we are led by the Spirit, not the law. And we see there is purpose for the law in the Old Testament. It it restrains evil. It teaches God's people how they are to live. But it was never intended to save them. It was intended to show them their need for a Savior. God did not give the law that we could look at it and say, well, let me just check all these things off and now I'm perfect. No, He gave us the law that we could see how desperately short we fall of His glory and righteousness that we might trust in the One who is perfect. In Christ Jesus. that's why Paul writes about the law this way in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul basically says here, oh, it is possible for us to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. How do we do that? By trusting in Christ, who was the only perfect one. He says the law in and of itself is powerless to save us. Now there's a great picture of this in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read that great work, I would encourage you this year if you're going to read one book, outside of god's word read pilgrim's progress there are many modern translations it makes it easier to read you can listen to it i've made it a goal every year to either read or listen to it i started listening to it again yesterday and in pilgrim's progress you've got this allegory of the christian life you've got this man named christian who is moving on from the city of destruction as he comes under the conviction of sin and he is on a journey to the celestial city to heaven Along the way, there's many encounters he has. One of them is with a man named Interpreter, and he comes to Interpreter's house, and as he goes to the Interpreter's house, he's there with him, and there's a room, and everything in that room is covered in in dust. He then watches as a man comes in with a broom, and he, he starts to try to clean the room, but all he does is stirs up the dust, and there's this cloud of dust everywhere, and the dust begins to choke Christian, and he fears that he's he's just going to choke on it. And it's in that moment that Interpreter... As for a maid to come in and she begins to sprinkle water throughout that room and that water then begins to cleanse the room and cleans it of all that dust. Then interpreter says to Christian, this is a picture, that this is a contrast between those who trust in the works of the law and those who trust in the gospel of Christ. See, the law just stirs up sin it cannot save us it shows us how filthy we are we need the saving cleansing work of our lord jesus to truly deal with sin in our life and give us a new heart the law cannot do what it was never intended to do only christ can save us and he does that through the power of the holy spirit And so we are called then to walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? We do that by trusting in Christ, not the law. And we do that by understanding the promises of God and holding firm to them. So the reason that we don't just say let go and let God is because in the midst of suffering, loss, blessing, curse, whatever it might be, we don't let go, we hold on. We, We grasp firmly we, we grab the word of God and we don't let go of it friends you, you can't put your trust in that which you do not know you, you can't put your hope in what you don't know if we don't open up God's word we don't know what it says well what are we putting our hope in so often we find in those times we're talking about God's promises and their promises that aren't God's promises They're promises that on our part are notions or desires Well, didn't God promise me this? How do we know what God has promised? We know by looking to the Word of God. And the fight of faith is fought by holding on to this sword and believing in what it says. The Spirit-led life is the Christ-trusting life. The Spirit-led life is the life rooted on the promises of God that we find in God's Word. And so you do not need to pray today. Lord, would you just lead me by your Spirit? You need to pray today. God, would you empower me to follow your Spirit as your Spirit leads? God's Word is already clear. God's instruction to us is here. The engine is running down the track. Will you hold on to it is the question. I put a quote there at the bottom of your outline from Pastor John MacArthur. He says it this way. Believers do not need to pray for the Spirit's leading because He's already doing that. They need to seek for willingness and obedience to follow His leading. And so you come back to those same questions we started with. Are you struggling with sin this morning? Then trust in Christ and rest in His Word. Are you dealing with grief and loss this morning? then trust in Christ and rest in the promises of His Word. Are you overwhelmed by financial stress or difficult relationship or sickness or sorrow or suffering? Then trust in Christ and rest in the promises of His Word because, friends, that is our only hope. I'll leave you with a picture of one who did that very thing. Her name was Louisa Stead. Louisa was born in England in 1850. She moved to the United States when she was about 21 years old. Uh, For some time, she lived just up the road here in Cincinnati, and it was during that time that uh, she was already a, a follower of Christ. She went to a camp meeting in Urbana, Ohio, and there at that camp meeting, as she heard the call of missions being proclaimed, she surrendered her life to that call, and she told the Lord she would go anywhere, she would do anything. Her desire was to be a missionary in Africa along the way. And preparing for that mission, she uh, met and married her husband. Uh, God blessed them with a young daughter. And so as they were making their missionary preparations, uh, they found themselves uh, in New York State. And they decided one day to have a a picnic lunch there by the seaside. Uh, They went out there by the ocean. They set up their blanket on the sand. They got their food out. And as they began to eat, they began to hear the cries of a young man. And they stood, looked out over the horizon and the ocean there. They could see there was a young man who had been swept out by the tide and he was drowning. And so without hesitation, Louisa's husband handed their four-year-old daughter to her and he ran as fast as he could into that water and he swam after that young man. As he dove underneath the water to rescue that man, the man was already so disoriented, he began to grab and pull against his rescuer and they both drowned and died. All while, Louisa and her daughter looked on helplessly. Here was one who had committed her life to a missionary call who had said to the Lord, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, and yet she met such devastating loss. Friend, what do you say to someone in that moment? What do you tell them? Well, let me tell you what she said. Because she wrote it down and we have it today. As she wrestled with these questions, Lord, why me and why this? And, And not understanding, she found herself in the riches of God's Word and clinging to His promises. And so this is what this young widow wrote. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take Him at His Word. Just to rest upon His promise. And just to know, thus saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. And just to trust His cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, it is sweet to trust in Jesus Just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee. Precious Jesus, Savior, Friend. And I know that Thou art with me and will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus. How I trust Him. How I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him. And so that is what saving faith does. It gives us hope when nothing else can. And that is what the walk of faith is. The question for us today is will we walk by faith, by the Spirit, or will we walk by sight and by the flesh? Is your trust in Christ today? I pray that 2019 will be marked as a year for Bloomfield Baptist Church when we experience God's grace all the more. Whether it is a year of great blessing or a year of great loss, that we too would sing these words and we would worship Christ as we do. And so I want to invite you to stand as we sing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And as I pray for us, Father God, we do come to You in the name of Christ. And Lord, we come to You realizing our inability to know tomorrow. We, we can forecast, we can plan, but no one in this room knows fully what this year holds. Any more than we knew what would come Of the last year. This may be a year of great joy and blessing. It may be a year of abundance for some. For others, this may be a year of devastation and loss. But Lord, if we are in Christ, our hope can be in the day when there is no more pain and no more suffering. When you wipe every tear from our eyes. The day when you make all things new the day when we will no longer even be able to sin. Father, would you help us to trust in Christ, to not just sing these words, but to believe them. Lord, as we do, I pray for any here who's yet to place their faith and their trust in Jesus, that they'd be willing to come and confess publicly Christ as Lord today. I pray for any, Lord, that perhaps you're leading to come and and be a part of our church, join this church, that they would come. We could start that process today. I pray for any, Lord, who just needs brother or sister, to pray for them, that they would come as well. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.